Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's episode is one that has been all over the news and has sparked a lot of discussion about postpartum mental health. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Patrick and Lindsay Clancy might not have been high school sweethearts, but their relationship was as close to love at first sight as it gets. Patrick's sister and cousin set him up with Lindsay, knowing they'd be perfect for each other, and they were right. After dating for a while, Patrick took her back to where they had their first date and he proposed. Less than a year later, they were married and starting the rest of their lives. They bought a cute little home in Duxbury, Massachusetts, with three bedrooms and two bathrooms, and a big backyard just begging for a playset. Lindsay had always wanted to be a mother, so almost immediately, the couple decided to start a family. First came their daughter, Cora. Two years later, they welcomed their son, Dawson. And two years after that, in 2022, they welcomed their third child, a baby boy named Callan. If you look at Lindsay's Facebook page or talk to anyone who knew her, you'd see a woman who values her family over everything. One post after another of her children, her husband, her family as a whole. Whether they were taking trips to the zoo, to museums, the beach, or just hanging out at home, Lindsay was loud and proud about how grateful she was for the life she was living. In one post she wrote, I feel like the luckiest mama in the world. And another she asked, how did I get so lucky? Unfortunately, things aren't always as pretty in real life as they are online or even to the naked eye. On Tuesday, January 24th, 2023, at 6.11 p.m., Duxbury police got a 911 call from Patrick Clancy. He'd just gotten home from running a quick errand, but when he walked through the door, he heard nothing. He'd gone out to get some over-the-counter medicine and takeout for dinner and fully expected to come home to his five- and three-year-olds running around and his seven-month-old being his seven-month-old self. But instead, he came home to pure silence. He called Lindsay to see where everyone was, but got no answer. Patrick headed upstairs to their bedroom, but when he got there, the door was locked. Court video from CBS reports that he was able to get the door open, and when he did, he noticed blood on the floor in front of a full-length mirror, and their bedroom window was open. Patrick walked to the window, and below it, he saw his wife laying in the backyard. Patrick called 911 and rushed outside to check on Lindsay and try to figure out what was going on, and thankfully she was conscious. He can be heard on 911 asking Lindsay, what did you do? She told him that she had tried to kill herself and jump out of the window. 
Patrick asked where the kids were, and according to that court video, Patrick told police that Lindsay said they were in the basement. Their basement had been turned into Patrick's work-from-home office and wasn't the place you'd expect all of their children to be with no parent around, let alone a seven-month-old. When EMS workers got on the scene, Patrick told them to take care of Lindsay while he went inside to find the kids. In the 911 call, you can hear him call out, guys, as he headed downstairs. As he starts getting close to the bottom of the stairs, the sound on his end of the phone turned into an agonizing scream. Screams that got louder the longer the call went on. The 911 dispatcher told units to respond to the basement, and that's when the radio chatter started asking for additional ambulances. At one point, you hear the final count that they have four victims and they need help with chest compressions. Lindsay was conscious on the ground in the backyard, but five-year-old Cora, three-year-old Dawson, and seven-month-old Callan were unresponsive in the basement. They were rushed to the hospital, and as hard as they tried, Cora and Dawson were pronounced dead. Seven-month-old Callan was fighting as hard as he could, and they were eventually able to get a pulse. He was put on life support while everyone hoped and prayed that he would survive. If you're wondering what happened in that basement, so was everyone else who was watching this story unfold in the media. At that point, all anyone knew was that Lindsay was in critical condition, Callan was on life support, and Cora and Dawson hadn't survived whatever happened in that house. But the news started to trickle in slowly. By 9.40 p.m., Steve Cooper with 7 News was reporting that homicide detectives had been called to the house. Less than 24 hours later, law enforcement officials were announcing that Lindsay would be facing charges in the deaths of their two oldest children. District Attorney Timothy Cruz states that Lindsay was suspected of having killed her oldest two children and injuring her infant before jumping from her second-story bedroom window. The preliminary investigation suggested that the children had been strangled, but no one seemed to be able to figure out what her motive would have been. For all intents and purposes, the Clancy seemed to be the perfect family living the perfect life, but there were struggles going on behind the scenes. At 5.51, the day after the incident, Christina Rex with WBZ reported that sources indicated Lindsay had been struggling with postpartum psychosis, or PPP. According to the NHS, it affects one in every 500 mothers after giving birth. It generally starts presenting itself within the first two weeks after the birth takes place. It's different than postpartum depression, as it can include hallucinations, illusions, manic mood, sometimes mixed with low mood, feeling suspicious or fearful, confusion, behaving out of character, etc. It should be treated as a medical emergency, as it can be a risk to both the mother and the baby. From what I can find, treatment is ideally done in a hospital setting and managed with medication and cognitive behavioral therapy. Radio host John DePetro reported that Patrick had actually started working from home to help out while Lindsay attended an intensive postpartum depression clinic five days a week. Earlier reports had mentioned that she was on leave from her job as a nurse, and that might explain why. Lindsay had posted online about struggling with postpartum anxiety, but as far as I can find, she didn't mention any other diagnosis. That being said, I think now is as good a time as ever to talk about the stigma that comes along with mental health struggles. 
I think anxiety has been more widely recognized and less scrutinized by the public, but things like depression and bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and postpartum psychosis definitely hold a judgmental stigma. While someone might feel comfortable talking about their anxiety, they might hold back on talking about other mental health diagnoses for fear of being judged. I'm not saying that's what happened here, but now's as good a time as ever to have that conversation. Regardless of the news that Lindsay might have been struggling with PPP or PPD, within 24 hours, she was officially charged with two counts of homicide, three counts of strangulation or suffocation, assault, and three counts of assault and battery with a deadly weapon. The deadly weapon charge was interesting since it suggested that an item may have been used in the killings. On Thursday, January 26th, two days after the incident, seven-month-old Callan turned eight months old. That same day, he heartbreakingly succumbed to his injuries. Every one of the Clancy children had lost their lives, and Patrick was left to figure out how he was supposed to grieve them all at the same time, including his wife. Lindsay was in police custody at the hospital and wasn't allowed to have any visitors or phone calls. Additionally, she had been charged with killing his children. It's a kind of internal agony that I didn't think could be put into words, but Patrick released a statement. It's long, but I feel like everyone needs to hear it in its entirety. He wrote, Thank you all for the love and support. The warmth I've received from the community is palpable, and your generosity gives me hope that I can focus on some sort of healing. I've seen all of your messages and contributions, including some from people I haven't seen in over a decade and many I've never met. I see and appreciate every one of you. A lot of people have said they can't imagine, and they're right. There's absolutely nothing that can prepare you. The shock and pain is excruciating and relentless. I'm constantly reminded of them, and with the little sleep I get, I dream about them on repeat. Any parent knows it's impossible to understand how much you will love your kids until you have them. The same goes for understanding the devastation of losing them. Cora, Dawson, and Callan were the essence of my life, and I'm completely lost without them. My family was the best thing that ever happened to me. I took so much pride in being Lindsay's husband and a dad to Cora, Dawson, and Callan. I always reminded myself that each day with them was a new gift. Callan usually woke up first and would rest his head on my shoulder for a few minutes as he adjusted to morning. Dawson typically sang or spoke his thoughts out loud for a while before we'd go get him. Cora was a big girl and would simply walk downstairs. I can still vividly picture her coming into the living room each morning with her hair in a mess, smile on her face. We always started our days together, reading books, cuddling up on the couch, and playing with magnet tiles. I loved taking them places, whether it was scooting at Chandler Elementary, vacation, skiing, out on the boat, or to Duxbury Beach, one of our favorite places on Earth. They gave me purpose and I never took it for granted. There is now a massive void where that purpose once was. Cora had an infectious laugh and was stunningly beautiful. She was the cautious one, but it was really because she was so caring. She used to say she wanted to be a doctor and a mama when she grew up, and she would practice by giving Callan checkups. If she was leaving the house to go somewhere, she would pick someone to take care of Caroline and Charlotte, her baby dolls. She had all the doll accessories available, so her sitters were well-equipped. Before she turned two, she was already wrapping them in perfect swaddles. We would tell her she's such a good little mama. 
She loved all babies, both real and pretend. She loved sloths, unicorns, tea parties, going to lunch with Nana and Grandpa, and giving presents to people. She knew everything about princesses, her favorite being Sophia I. She truly loved her brothers and us, and said it often in her sweet voice. We did a lot of father-daughter activities together, like skiing and visiting San Francisco, or just talking. I loved her, my firstborn, so much. Dawson had beautiful, bold, brown eyes that beamed with friendship. He was naturally humorous and generous beyond the norm of a typical toddler, always willing to share his toys with others. For all the love he received, he always gave back more. His best quality was his pure kindness. He loved trucks, tractors, dinosaurs, Paw Patrol, worker guys, and being outside. He was adventurous and mischievous and enjoyed causing trouble, which he typically found hilarious. He was also remarkably smart. We always said if we didn't save enough for retirement, it'll be okay. We'll just live in Dawson's guest house. He would hug me tighter than most adults, and every night he told me in consistent words at bedtime, without fail, good night, Dada, I love you. We had a special bond from day one. He was my buddy, my first boy, and truly a gift. Callan was our easygoing child. I always said it was because he was the third child, he had to adapt and he did easily. He was born with hardly any fuss and was by far our best sleeper. He was just an incredibly happy and vibrant baby, constantly smiling. Our nickname for him was Happy Callan. He was sitting on his own and you could tell he was enjoying his growing independence as he would grab any object within reach. Sometimes he joined my Microsoft calls in the background playing in his jumpy. I would keep my camera on, too proud to leave it off. He started saying dada whenever I walked in the room. The last moment we had together was our routine. I would come up from my office at the end of the day and swing him between my legs while he laughed and smiled. If I was ever having a bad day, Callan always knew how to heal me. Perhaps that's why he held on a little longer, to spare me whatever pain he could. As excruciating as it is, I was fortunate and grateful to feel his warmth until his very last moment. Faith is my only hope of believing he felt mine. Callan died with enormous courage despite being so little. Maybe it was his way of demonstrating what I need to do to press forward. I'll always draw inspiration from him. He'll always be my little hero. I want to share some thoughts about Lindsay. She's recently been portrayed largely by people who have never met her and never knew who the real Lindsay was. Our marriage was wonderful and diametrically grew stronger as her condition rapidly worsened. I took as much pride in being her husband as I did in being a father and felt persistently lucky to have her in my life. I still remember the very moment I first laid eyes on her and can recall how overcome I was with the kind of love at first sight you only see in movies. It really didn't take long before I was certain I wanted to marry her. We said I love you to each other multiple times a day as if it were a reflex. We habitually started every morning with a passionate hug, yielding a sigh of relief like we had each received the perfect medicine. If too much time had passed without a hug, she'd look at me and ask, did you forget? We mutually understood the reality that people can have bad days, but we stuck to the rule that when one of us got lost, the other was always there to bring them home always. She loved being a nurse, but nothing matched her intense love for our kids and dedication to being a mother. It was all she ever wanted. Her passion taught me how to be a better father. I want to ask all of you that you find it deep within yourselves to forgive Lindsay as I have. 
The real Lindsay was generously loving and caring towards everyone, me, our kids, family, friends, and her parents. The very fibers of her soul are loving. All I wish for her now is that she can somehow find peace. I promise I'll put all my energy into healing and rediscovering my purpose. I owe that to all of you, Duxbury Fire and Police, our compassionate healthcare workers, our local faith leaders, the Microsoft community, and especially Cora, Dawson, and Callan. I don't know how or when I'll be able to do it, but your love and generosity will help me get started. I know that love always wins. Cora, Dawson, and Callan, you gave me so much in your short time here. I don't know if the pain will ever go away, but I'll do my best to carry on in your honor. Dada loves you so much and will always remember you with love and endless gratitude. That's the end of Patrick's statement, and I don't know if I've ever heard anything more gut-wrenching and moving. On February 3rd, it became clear that Lindsay had a lawyer and he was ready to fight for her. According to the Boston Globe, he said that she was the subject of horrific overmedication, stating that she had been prescribed 13 different medications between October of 2022 and January of 2023, a four-month period. He gave a list of medications prescribed, which were Ambien, Clonopin, Valium, Prozac, Lamotrigine, Ativan, Remeron, Seroquel, Zoloft, Trazodone, Hydrazazine, Amitriptyline, and Buspirone. Looking at the treatment uses of those medications, most are primarily used for treating anxiety and depression, while one could be used as an atypical antipsychotic and two others were sometimes used to treat bipolar disorder. I did some research on why so many medications would be prescribed over a short period of time, and it looks like shorter-acting medications are sometimes prescribed until a longer-term medication reaches its therapeutic level. If a medication is causing unwanted side effects, it's not uncommon for the patient to be weaned off of it and put on another one, which hopefully will not have those same side effects. That being said, her lawyer told Fox News that Lindsay and Patrick had gone to the doctor on numerous occasions asking for help, saying that the medications were turning her into a zombie. During the first week of January, a hearing was held where Lindsay's attorney requested to have a forensic psychologist evaluate her for any evidence of a postpartum mood disorder. The Boston Globe reports that the assistant DA, or ADA, requested that a third party be in the room during the evaluation, but the judge ruled that it could be done in private. The judge also made the ruling that Lindsay was allowed to have her parents call her, since she apparently hadn't been able to speak to anyone at that point. However, Lindsay was not permitted to make any outgoing calls. There was a ton of discussion about PPP and PPD in the following days while everyone waited for any kind of update in the case. Women across the world shared their struggles publicly, including instances where they had thoughts of self-harm and even harming their own children. These aren't easy conversations to have, but in the wake of cases like Andrea Yates, many women felt like they needed to share their stories in an effort to make sure people understood the reality and severity of it, that it wasn't a choice and that it could happen to anyone, and that women with PPP and PPD deserve appropriate support and medical assistance. 
Last week, on February 7th, 2023, Lindsay Clancy was arraigned, and it was unlike any arraignment I have ever seen. Instead of the usual basics of a case, this arraignment was more like a preliminary hearing. Details were released by the ADA that painted a very detailed and grim picture that had a lot of people wondering how they felt about this case anymore. CBS posted a video of the arraignment from inside the courtroom, so the following information comes from that. The first thing the ADA did was outline the day of the incident. That morning, Lindsay took five-year-old Cora to the pediatrician. She was seen by the receptionist, the nurses, and the doctor, who all reported that there was no indication that anything was wrong. After getting home, Lindsay played in the snow with Cora and Dawson and even made a snowman. She took a picture of the snowman and sent it to Patrick and her mom. Patrick was downstairs working in the basement at the time, but Lindsay continued texting with both of them and neither reported any indication that she was in any distress or trouble. At 4.02 p.m., Lindsay used her phone to search for Kids Miralax. 11 minutes later, she made a search for Takeout 3V. 3V is a restaurant they'd been to before, and even though she was familiar with the place, she used Apple Maps to determine how long it would take to get from their house to the restaurant. The ADA says that Lindsay did that so she would know how long someone would be gone if they went there. I mapped it out myself, and it would be a 22-minute round trip, 11 minutes there and 11 minutes back. At 4.47 p.m., Lindsay went to the CVS website and called the local store to ask if they had the kids' Miralax that she had been searching for online. She spoke to the manager who told her that they didn't have it, but gave her a list of medications they had that were similar. The manager stated that Lindsay's voice didn't sound slurred or impaired in any way and that it was a perfectly normal conversation. At 4.53 p.m., Lindsay texted Patrick, who was still downstairs in the basement office, and asked him, Any chance you want to do takeout from 3V? I didn't cook anything. It's been a long day. The ADA noted that as unusual, since when they normally ordered takeout, it was from somewhere closer to the house. Granted, 3V was only an 11-minute drive away, and it was a restaurant they were familiar with. Patrick told her yes to the takeout, and Lindsay told him to check out the menu. He texted Lindsay back at 5.06 asking what she was going to get, and she texted him that she was ordering a Mediterranean Power Bowl. The ADA pointed out that Lindsay spelled that correctly, and it was, in fact, something on the menu. With that, Patrick told Lindsay that he wanted the scallop and pork belly risotto. At 5.10 p.m., Lindsay called the 3V restaurant and placed their takeout order. The order was placed correctly, and she gave the restaurant Patrick's name for pickup. The hostess who took Lindsay's order said there was nothing out of the ordinary about the call, that her voice wasn't slurred or impaired in any way. Five minutes after Lindsay placed the order, Patrick left the house to go pick it up. When he left, Lindsay texted him Pedialax liquid stool softener, something she wanted him to pick up from CVS while he was out. At 5.32 p.m., Patrick can be seen on surveillance footage walking into the CVS. He made his way to the medicine aisle, and one minute after getting there, he made a call to Lindsay. She didn't answer the phone, but she did call him back a minute later. She told him exactly what to pick up, and the call only lasted 14 seconds. Patrick said he had no issues communicating with her, but did mention that it seemed like she was in the middle of something, which is honestly chilling. At 5.37 p.m., Patrick checks out and leaves the CVS and picks up the takeout order at 5.54 p.m. 
At 6.09 p.m., he calls Lindsay because he came home to a completely silent house. We know he went upstairs to find the door locked, blood in front of the full-length mirror, and Lindsay laying on the ground below their second-story bedroom window. According to the ADA, Lindsay appeared to have cuts to her wrist and her neck, although Patrick told the 911 operator that the cuts weren't bleeding anymore. Lindsay did suffer several broken bones, including her back and ribs. With 911 on the phone and Lindsay conscious enough to know what was going on, Patrick asked her where the kids were. He later told police that Lindsay told him they were in the basement. He found five-year-old Cora and seven-month-old Callan at the bottom of the basement stairs in the den area. Three-year-old Dawson was found alone in Patrick's office. Each of them had an exercise band tied around their neck. Patrick took the bands off of his children's necks and screamed for officers to come downstairs. When they got there, the ADA states that he yelled out, she killed the kids. During the investigation, detectives found notebooks in the house and notes in Lindsay's phone where she had kept detailed notes of her days, feelings, mental state, and medication usage. The ADA testified that Lindsay's writing was clear and precise and never indicated that she was suffering from any hallucinations or delusions. The day prior to the incident, Lindsay wrote a note in her phone that said she had a touch of postpartum anxiety about going back to work and that her psychiatrist had prescribed medication to help her. According to the ADA, who cited Patrick, Lindsay was initially diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. She was evaluated at a different center in Rhode Island on December 20th, 2022, and was told that she didn't have postpartum depression and didn't have any symptoms of it. That same month, Lindsay wrote in her journal that she sometimes has suicidal thoughts. She shared that information with Patrick and on one occasion told him that she had thoughts of harming the children. She wound up admitting herself into a local psychiatric facility where she stayed between January 1st and January 5th. According to the ADA, Lindsay didn't voice or write about suicidal thoughts or thoughts of harming the children following her hospital stay. In fact, Patrick said she seemed to be getting better. She was interacting with the kids, her family, her friends, and even going out to restaurants and museums. She also stayed home alone with the children on several occasions. The weekend prior to the incident, Lindsay's parents visited and the ADA testified that there was nothing out of the ordinary. Lindsay actually texted her mom on the 22nd asking how her ride home went and during their exchange, Lindsay's mom told her that it was nice to see her doing better. On the night of the incident, Patrick told police that Lindsay had been having one of her best days, that she'd been smiling and happy and he saw no indication that she was going to harm the kids. The ADA made it a point to state that no one, no one at all, described Lindsay as acting like a zombie in the days leading up to the incident or the day of the incident. When it comes to Lindsay's treatment or medications, she kept a detailed log of which one she took and any difficulties she had with them. When she had any issues, she would let her doctor know and they'd stop the medication or wean her off and then try something new. The ADA testified that doctors were trying to see what medications would work for her. What works for one person might not work for the other. She cited Patrick when she told the court that Lindsay was never on more than four or five medications at a time. At the time of the incident, she was only on three. Continuing with Lindsay's arraignment, the ADA testified that on February 5th, the psychiatrist hired by the defense allowed Lindsay to use their personal cell phone to call Patrick. And I'm pretty sure I audibly gasped when she said that, 
The judge had ordered that Lindsay could take a call from her parents and, according to reports, specifically stated that she couldn't make any outgoing calls. And here we are finding out that the psychiatrist hired by the defense was letting Lindsay use their personal cell phone to call her husband, the father of the children she is alleged to have asphyxiated with exercise bans. Regardless of her mental health issues, I feel like it's Patrick's right to decide when and if he's ready to have a conversation with Lindsay. Lindsay's first call to Patrick went unanswered, but she left him a voicemail telling him that she loved him. The following day, I shit you not, the psychiatrist let Lindsay use their phone again to call Patrick. This time, Patrick answered and says that Lindsay told him she killed the kids because after he left that night, she heard a voice and had a quote-unquote moment of psychosis. Patrick asked Lindsay what voice she had heard, and she told him that it had been a man's voice that told her to kill herself and the kids because it was her last chance. Patrick told police that Lindsay had never heard voices before and that she'd never used the word psychosis with him before either. The ADA made it a point to reiterate that the first time Lindsay had ever used the word psychosis was when she was with the psychiatrist hired by the defense while using the psychiatrist's cell phone, which certainly did not look good. At the end of the ADA's testimony, she circled back to a note that Lindsay wrote in her phone on October 25th of 2022, three months prior to the incident. Lindsay wrote, I think I kind of resent my other children because they prevent me from treating Callan like my first baby. And I know that's not fair to them. I know that. I was feeling so depressed last evening when Court and Dawson came home from school. I know it runs off on them, so we had a pretty rough evening. I want to feel love and connection with all of my kids. Then she wrote that she eventually wanted to have more kids. The ADA wrapped up her testimony by stating that Lindsay didn't take advantage of the situation that night when Patrick left the house to pick up dinner and medicine. She believes that Lindsay created the situation using Apple Maps to make sure she had enough time. The defense had their time in front of the judge at this hearing and essentially made the argument that women with postpartum mental health concerns aren't taken seriously or given the help they need. And while that might be true, Lindsay had sought help. She was receiving treatment, she had been admitted to a psychiatric facility, and had a lot of family support. At the end of the hearing, no bail was set for Lindsay. According to WBVC, she'll remain in the hospital until she can be released to a rehab facility. Her attorney stated that she was a paraplegic after a spinal transection, paralyzed from the belly button down. But based on what was said, it looks like there might be a possibility that her condition will improve to some extent, but she will never fully recover. If Lindsay completes all of her needed treatment, another hearing will be held to discuss a potential bond. A probable cause hearing was set for May 2nd, where the prosecution will argue the probable cause behind the charges placed. If the judge finds the probable cause sufficient, a trial will be ordered. The Clancy case is a hard one to wrap your mind around and one that has swayed emotions for weeks. There have been countless people rallying for her, writing letters about her character and how this isn't something they ever could have imagined her doing in her right mind. But the arraignment seems to have changed the tone a bit, at least to the people following her case in the media. With the searches, the Apple Maps, the phone call during Patrick's visit to the pharmacy and the countless people who interacted with Lindsay on the day of the incident, many are left not knowing how to feel anymore. 
If you or anyone you know is struggling while pregnant or following birth, Help for Moms is there to help. They are a free and confidential maternal mental health hotline for pregnant and new moms. They're available 24-7 for real-time support, phone or text access to professional counselors, resources, and referrals to local and telehealth providers and support groups. You are never alone. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out the Clancy highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me on TikTok tonight at the Heather Ashley at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's case and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case that you would like to hear covered, please share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.